0: that i think it's going to be one of those things where it's like gradually then suddenly you know as Mm -hmm. as the bitcoin ecosystem continues to mature you know an app is going to come out you know that's built on built you know you know one day we'll see an app appear and it's built on bitcoin and it'll take off and all of a sudden we're in a completely different place Mm -hmm. than we were the day before um i i think that that something like that is more much more likely to happen
1: Welcome friends, you are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle Class Investing with your hosts P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch.
2: Hey, welcome back once again to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle-class investing, where we help everyday folks get financially unstuck by taking a blue-collar approach, rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty, and accepting responsibility for our own financial future. My name is Mike Hatch, and I'm here with P.W. Gopal. And today, we have a special interview highlighting and kind of doing a deep dive into cryptocurrencies and more than just cryptocurrencies we're going to talk about some of the underlying kind of themes that that uh that, that resonate with us and where we've uh, Spent a lot of time and talking about macroeconomics. In a sense, we get into some macroeconomics and how cryptocurrencies can have a redemptive influence. PW, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Alex Mejias, uh, who we're going to be interviewing for this episode? What makes him, you know, an expert in this field, and uh, why why will it benefit us, if you will, to uh, to hear from him?
1: Yeah, Alex and I um, met 17 years ago, and back when social media wasn't really a thing. <laughs> And but when was that on MySpace? Um, did you meet on MySpace?
2: Was, actually, I think it
1: was MySpace. Page. I was just hundred percent. I had a MySpace page at this point, <laughs> and I bet Alex did too. Uh, but we met doing a gig together, and I've just kind of followed him. He was a writer and and kind of the lead performer for a, um, a project called the High Street Hymns, where they would kind of reimagine some of the, the old Psalm, Psalms and hymns. And I mean, he just did beautiful, beautiful work. He's super talented musician, but where it really kind of came off the page for me is as on social media, I noticed that he went back to law school, was practicing law and then actually made a post about cryptocurrency several years back. And I was so confused that I immediately kind of jumped on and tried to figure out like, how does all this stuff connect? And, you know, we probably get an email every week, two weeks, or a question about cryptocurrency. Yeah. I can't speak intelligently to it. Like you spend a lot of time reading about it and and, and doing your own kind of research into it. But in, in talking with Alex, I realized like this would be a great resource for us because he's a guy who's been in it for, you know, I think for the past 11, maybe 10 or 11 years. A, a decent portion of his law practice is was helping people, you know, kind of discover, you know, what platforms were going to work for for their applications. And so we asked him to come on and, and, and talk about basics for me. Yeah, uh, sure. And then even just kind of like, you know, what are the long-term um, uses for this kind of technology? Because I know that a lot of our listeners are curious about it. Is this an investable product? Is it actual money? Is it currency? Is it like, what is it? Yeah. He, I thought he did an amazing job. He's just an f- incredible person. He's a renaissance man, like so talented, mm-hmm. so intelligent. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Yeah,
2: musician or artist, investor, lawyer. I mean, what, <laughs> what else? Yeah, he's you-
1: he he's the the founder and the managing partner of James River Law in Richmond, Virginia, um, and he's one of the one of the founders of the Richmond Community Bail Fund, which he will. He will talk about. Um, he has an. He is just a great perspective on the gospel, and what redemptive influence looks like. Yeah, I literally just couldn't be more happy that that you're going to get to hear from him.
2: Yeah, you're going to get a ton of value, and and there's a lot in this interview. We have covered a lot of ground, and so we're going to split this episode into two episodes, just for your the listeners' benefit. For you guys, as is. They give you time to process this, especially if you're newer to cryptocurrencies or don't understand yet or trying to learn more. Hopefully, this will help to kind of make it a little bit more palatable for you. And uh, and let me just say this too, and we've said this before on our, our podcast, but our current monetary system violates God's mandate for just weights and measures which God God says in both Deuteronomy and Leviticus that he's, as he's setting up Israel to be his people, He says, you must have just weights and measures. And it, the way none other way it's described in, in the Psalms is, is honest and dishonest weights. And it's, it's the idea of just having honest money or, or money that accurately communicates uh, value and, uh, and, and is a good measure of it. And unfortunately, our monetary system falls short, well short of that, which is part of the reason why we're, we, you know, as, as there are people that are suffering, there's a wealth gap, there's all, all sorts of different issues. You and I have talked about on the podcast already. And so that is where this comes from. So this, this the cryptocurrency, it, it basically, there's a population of people in the world who recognize the dishonest nature of of money today, the monetary system, and decided to do something about it. And, uh, and I can't wait for you to hear his, his, uh, his perspective on that without further ado. I'm just, let's just jump right into it. Here is Alex Mejias. Alex Mejias. Thank you for joining us for the blue collar money podcast, man. We are excited to have you.
0: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
2: Yeah, definitely. Now let me start by just, first of all, you and PW um, have known each other, but for the benefit of our listeners and maybe for me a little bit as well, love to hear a little bit about your faith journey, your background, and what what brought you to this this place where you are now professionally.
0: Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in the church. Um, always kind of was involved in in music ministry, and um, always loved just had a love for music. Um, wanted to be wanted to serve, um, and and that was sort of how I ended up you know serving and, and that's how PW and I crossed paths back in the day and uh after you know I went to law school um I actually had an opportunity to do music full time for for a few years um so I have a kind of a non-traditional path I actually took some time off of law school um and toured with with a band as their drummer for for a little while um and really knew that music was something that could be a really amazing career for, for a while. Um, also, you know, knew that may, maybe not forever. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so I yeah. came back to law school. I didn't, I didn't just fully leave. Um, and I, and yeah. I finished it out, but then after, after school, I had the opportunity to do, to do continue doing music. And so that was just a really wonderful experience. But after my wife and I started having kids and my daughters got old enough to say, please don't go. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I I knew I had to make a change uh, because my, my heart just wasn't, wasn't there. You know, having a tour so much and PW knows what that, what that's like about, you know, being on the road. So I, that's when I kind of um, fell back into practicing law here in Richmond. (laughs)
2: Sorry. I love how you say fell back in as if, whoops, here I am in law again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I mean, I, I really thought that what I wanted to do was law. I think that, you know, my law school experience was, was kind of a difficult one. And, um, and it, you know, my first internship after my first year of law school was just really not what I thought it would be, I guess. And so I think that it it was a very confusing time for me. Um, so, you know, law really was, was something that I, I, I didn't know if that I would ever actually return to it. But, you know, when, you know, when you have children and, you know, you lose all of your income and your you know, wife stops working, like you, you got to do something. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so that's when I, um, you know, started practicing law. But I, I think at the same time, I knew being a musician, you know, you're, you're basically a small business owner. It, it, it is very entrepreneurial. Um, and while uh, and while I was doing music, I was also doing you know all this other stuff, marketing and like you know doing the website and doing all of the other you know finances and everything. And and I really got the entrepreneurial bug. So hmm. even though I went back, back into law, I, I always knew that I wanted to work for myself. I didn't I did not like being an employee. I didn't like having a, a nine to five. Um, it was a very jarring thing to go from like working for myself and touring and being on the road to like sitting at a desk all day and, and needing to bill a certain number of hours. So, um, getting to the, getting to a place where I could have my own business, um, was was definitely a goal uh, for me. And, and I'm so grateful, you know, that, that it worked out. That's awesome. Wow. Very cool.
2: So then how did you and PW meet?
0: I think we, we must, I mean, PW, you know, I I think we met at a show, uh, many, many years ago. We, I think we may have actually, you know, been on the same ticket. Um, I don't fully remember it, but I do remember, I, I don't remember the show itself. I remember talking to PW and I remember um, I was very impressed by, how he was conducting his like music business. He was very uh mathematical about it. He said, okay, this is how much money I need to make. So this is how much I make per show. So this is how many shows. And I was like, man, you're just blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I was like, that is so I, was like I thought we were just supposed to go on stage and play music. This guy's got it all figured out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you
2: just describe I'll never forget that perfectly. conversation? That's hilarious. Yeah. He is, I, he is a math guru, that's for sure, and I can totally see that.
1: <laughs> I like to think of myself as a survivalist. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew coming out of my previous career job, like, how much money I needed to make, and, and I knew I was going to lose for a long time. Hmm. And so, yeah, I just had to do the math and figure out, okay, like, this is what it's going to take for me to stay on the road. It's a different number for me to actually be home like it's like there are musicians that stay on the road and and spend everything they make, mm. staying on the road. There's a different different type of person, uh, or different career, I guess, of people that um, are able to play shows and it makes them enough money where they can have the margin to then go home and take time off and write. And so, anyways, I thought through all that, but but I met, I remember meeting Alex and it was I think it was 2004. I went to Virginia Beach. We did we did do a show together. And, and at the time social media wasn't the monster that it is now but I remember seeing posts from him um just like throughout the years and i followed um you were one of the one of the writers or the writer for high street hymns
0: yeah i was the, there was two of us I probably did a you know a little bit more uh, between the two of us but yeah me and a guy named Ross bird um we were the two primary writers uh, for high street yeah
1: so I followed. I just I followed um, Alex through the years, and then I remember there being a distinct like, okay, wait a minute, that's not music, that's law. Like his post was about. <laughs> right? and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm I really missed something, and then again, you know, like life takes you over, and you you kind of forget. Fast forward, a couple years ago, I feel like maybe it was more than that, but I remember seeing you post about crypto, and I was so confused because. <laughs> um, like, understand how we go from being a musician, uh, to then a lawyer, but then to, to dealing with crypto. And I, and I thought about, it, I started laughing because I'm like, that's the same reaction that people have like with me is yeah. they don't understand music ever like touches money. And, you know, and then I realized, well, I just remember meeting you back in the day and remembering like, you, you know, you're not just, you were never just a typical musician like you, Mike and I were even talking about, like you're, you are the Renaissance guy that has, you don't just have your hands in different things, but you have the ability to, to actually understand them and, and play in different fields. And can you walk us through that progression? Because it's, I think sure. it's fascinating if you draw the thread between <laughs> those things.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, well, it's interesting because crypto was the thing that helped me launch my business. So I was, but, but, but I got into crypto through a love of technology. Uh, I, when I was, and my wife, my poor wife,
2: knows this <laughs> better
0: than anyone. But preach when it. I was doing preach it, <laughs> when I was doing music, I actually did my own website, and this was before content management systems. So you know, now I'm just showing how old I am. I'm just like a dinosaur. Like my first website was like an HTML coded website that like i coded myself like with using wow. html yeah. um and so <laughs> i but for some reason the website was like the thing that i was always obsessed with and my wife was like stop working on your website i was always changing it always updating it always like tinkering with it just and and i just fell in love with like the the technology with the web how that works um and so that that's what really Um, eventually landed me in crypto. But when I started, so I I was already kind of had a hankering for technology. I was doing all this like web stuff sort of behind the scenes. Nobody, nobody, obviously nobody knew. Everybody just like, you know, just do music. But then when I, I got my first job in in law, I was working for a firm that was doing claims processing, really boring, really just incredibly boring work. But we would build our own claims portals every time there was a new uh, settlement case. And so there was a team of like 70 developers. And somehow, probably because I was kept bugging people about the websites and the portal, I got assigned to like help like work with the developers to like build these portals. So I was, you know, even though I was working in law, I was working very closely with developers I was like the thorn in their side. They all like, were like, here comes Alex again. He's going to ask for some feature. He's going to complain about something. <laughs> um, and so then uh, I had a friend who, um, who was, who's was a web developer and software developer, and he has a company and he asked me to come work for him. And so I, in between practicing law at a firm and then running my own shop here, um, I worked Full time for um, a web development company, a web and software development company, and so I got even more into you know how that works. Um, so and and so during that time, you know, crypto is happening, and you know, I'm so I'm just reading about technology. I'm reading about Bitcoin, um, and I'll be honest, like very many people that get into Bitcoin, it like I saw the price, you know, but this was like way back in the day, you know, when the first time I bought Bitcoin, it was two hundred and twenty dollars, um, and so. I, you know, bought a Bitcoin, it doubled. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So like I sold it <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> in uh, like in, in today, $500, $500, what is that? Uh, about well,
2: $56,000 now.
0: <clears throat> yeah, $56,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a really dumb thing to do. But then it kept going up. Um, and so I, I bought a little, like, you know, a little bit more, but I was also doing a little bit of cloud mining, um, which is like, a, it's very too hard to explain. Anyway, I was, I was still getting a little bit of crypto into this wallet. Um, and then I kind of like moved on with my life and got a little bit distracted. And then in 2016, I remembered, oh yeah, I've got Bitcoin. Um, so I opened up my wallet. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh wow, wow. Look at this. this is like become money. So at that point in time, I was like I should really like actually pay attention to this and that's when I you know quote unquote fell down the bitcoin rabbit hole and I really learned about like how the technology works I learned about um you know I just I just did a deep dive and I and I just fell in, I just fell in love with the technology it's an amazing it's an amazing human innovation honestly um and so That's, that's what kind of got me into it. And at that point I was like, okay, I don't ever want to lose track of this again. I want to stay involved. And so when I was, um, you know, just going to like meetup groups and, uh, you know, just kind of involved in the local community here and I was the only attorney. And so I remember the first meetup I went to someone was like explaining who was someone who's not a lawyer was explaining like securities law and how it applied to Bitcoin. And I was like, Whoa, what are they like? This is not right. <laughs> so I just kind of raised my hand. I was like, well, that's not exactly right. Like they were just saying things and they were, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, are you a lawyer? You know? And, and so I started just sort of organically helping people who were who had different like crypto projects with the law stuff. And that sort of, that and doing a little bit of like entertainment law. Cause, I, cause I just knew a lot of people in the music industry. So they would, and they knew that I was a lawyer, so they would ask me to do stuff. And I usually would tell them like, nah, 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 I can't, I can't help you. But then I just kind of decided to be open to helping people um, with, you know, just with like little things in, in early 2018. And so, and that right at that same time, um, I was also getting involved with helping these folks with their, with their crypto stuff. And by the end of that year, I was making more money. Of my side hustle law firm than I was in my day job. And and that's when I, I knew maybe I could make a change and, and launch out onto something of my own um, in a way that my wife felt comfortable with in a way that I, in a way that I wasn't like, you know, not providing for my family. So in 2019, that's when I went out on my own and, and sort of, the rest is history from here. Um, but yeah, so Bitcoin has been a huge part of my journey in terms of getting to, to to where I want it to be all along, which is having my own business.
2: So, so we've talked briefly about cryptocurrencies before on the show, and I've I've done somewhat of a, a deep dive myself. I'm sure not nearly as deep as you. Uh, Alex, you you're the expert here, and I'm excited to get your perspective on this. Which is why I want to ask you this question because I see personally that and and okay, let me start here. And you tell me if I'm right or wrong, and then I want to get your your thoughts on this. To me, it feels like like uh, the late '90s dot com boom, where you got cryptocurrencies coming out of your ears. The technology is fantastic, and I would even say it's it's it. I would describe it as redemptive in some ways but at the same time we're still kind of in the wild west you know th- there will be some cryptocurrencies i think that will you know that will take the helm and be the primary and there're going to be a lot the fall along the wayside but all that to be said what for you first of all is that ac- would you say that's an accurate depiction of where we are in that uh, feel free to push back or you know tell me i'm wrong i'm, I'm just curious about your perspective
0: yeah generally speaking yeah yeah
2: Okay. And then I was going to ask you to share a little bit about, and we talked about this beforehand. What kind of redemptive value do you see in cryptocurrency? Um, as, as you've studied it, as you've worked with different people um, who are utilizing the technology. And it's not just the currency, it's the technology behind it. It's it's the blockchain or the hash graph or the, the distributed ledger technology is is to to achieve consensus is is just a huge deal that I don't think a lot of people understand. So from your perspective, what makes it redemptive?
0: Sure. So I, in general, I think about redemption and, you know, my own calling to love neighbor, um, and to live out the gospel for me, I've always been like focused on like bigger structures and institutions. My wife is much more of like a, she wants to be one-on-one with people. I'm, I've always kind of been interested in like, what are the larger dynamics that are causing these conditions um, Yeah, for a macro for,
2: perspective, if you will.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Like, so, so to me, I think where Bitcoin and Potentially, some other cryptocurrencies that have the potential to be really redemptive is by providing an alternative to a pretty unfair system, <laughs> you know, of monetary control. Of in general, it's very difficult the to, for the poor to rise out of poverty because the in you know again in general. And I'm not an, I'm not an economic a, economist, but you know there it's 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 ironic that it's like very expensive to be poor <laughs> like it's like mm. it's always kind of mm. bothered me that um that folks who um are trying to rise out of poverty have a nearly impossible task and and for a number of reasons but within the the just the value of the the dollar itself the saving game is like very very difficult one to win because of inflation. And so I think that Bitcoin and, and any other uh crypto that like pretends to be like a, a real currency and a real store of value has the potential to really kind of counteract the negative effects of like inflation over time for folks who are able to kind of hold it um for for a longer period of time. And and I think that you're starting to see uh minority groups and like folks that are marginalized really gravitate towards it. There's a great book called Bitcoin and black America um, that talks all about, about the financial um, and structural racism in, in the, in this country um, that for a long time has made it very difficult. If you're a person of color to like actually build any type of real, like financial security and that Bitcoin provides like an open and public system that isn't subject to, systemic racism (laughs) and uh and and so i do think that like that's where i kind of see the potential here and you know in the united states we're 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 the global reserve currency right now so we don't feel the effects of our monetary policy like other people do in other parts Mm. of the world but there are still structural inequalities that i think bitcoin really offers um a potential solution for
1: well said i want to go back a little bit because um you know, I, I know the least of, of the three of us. And so, <laughs> I, you know, if if our listeners are listening in and, you know, I don't think we've necessarily defined cryptocurrency. I know sure. we haven't done it on previous episodes, but can you talk about the difference between currency, um, currency and, or money and cryptocurrency? Because those are kind of the three lands that, you know, they've heard us mention
0: yeah so okay, so I think the easiest way to think about it is you go to the beginning. So Bitcoin was the first quote unquote cryptocurrency and and it and it's a currency because it was designed to function as money. Um, since then, there have been other types of similar technologies, I would say crypto assets that have been developed that use a lot of the underlying tools and technologies, because Bitcoin is sort of like a collection of technologies that are sort of brought together to create an open and public money, basically. And so you've got other projects like Ethereum, which is, if you think about Bitcoin as like digital gold, a helpful analogy is like Ethereum is sort of like digital gas or oil, um, because it's, it's, it's used to do other things. So the the point of Ethereum is is to sort of be a platform on which other currencies and tokens sit on top of. And so you you use Ether um, to pay for those, you know, to pay for to do to, to pay for functions on on the Ethereum blockchain. And so many 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 of the crypto quote unquote cryptocurrencies and crypto assets that are out there are actually built on top of Ethereum. So mm-hmm. you have one that's created thousands. And so, um, and there are different use cases and the, 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 basically it's programmable. So you can, you can basically define what a token is, how many tokens are issued. And this is what I'm talking about on Ethereum. So, and I'll, and I'm kind of getting to what's, what the big craze is now, which is the NFTs, which are not quote unquote non-fungible fung- non tokens, which are basically limited edition tokens. So basically you go on, you basically say, okay, there's going to be a token that's called whatever, there's going to be this number of them, and that's it. And then you release it on either the Ethereum blockchain or some other blockchain. And you've sort of created like a limited series of tokens that are each have a, like a unique identifier. Whereas Bitcoin is quote unquote fungible in the sense that every Bitcoin is the same as every other Bitcoin, just like a dollar is the same as every other dollar. There are any unique you know $1 bills. Um, so there's a lot of different, Use cases, I would say that those are the the two primary ones. So money and then sort of computing power to do other types of things. And there have been lots of different projects and use cases. None that I would say have like fully proven themselves yet. I think really the only use case that has been fully proven, I would say at this point, and even in the still early days is, is, is the money use case. Um, but people are trying to, you know, put health records on the blockchain. They're trying, I mean, back in 2017, it was sort of like everything goes on the blockchain. And and the more you understand about like databases and how computers work, the less you kind of see the value of like everything on a blockchain. And I've been sort of very close to projects that have tried to just put everything on a blockchain and it doesn't really
1: work. And blockchain, blockchain technology, again, because I, you know, I have very limited understanding of this, but to me... My understanding is that it was created to give transparency to a money system. True.
0: Yeah, uh, transparency is 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 one function of the blockchain, but also just I'm going to quote unquote immutability. Basically, basically a record, uh, an authoritative record, going all the way back to the very first ever minted Bitcoin, so that you can know that what you have is real and authentic bitcoin um and and so it's 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 both transparency but also immutability where we basically say like this is the this is the history of bitcoin that we all agree on and so it's so you know that like the bitcoin that i'm sending you has that history that you can trace all the way back
1: right and and, and to contrast that with our with our dollar what is what is the major difference there I mean,
0: well, first of all, Bitcoin is a limited supply; it's a, it's a fixed supply, and and it's not controlled. So that's one. The U.S. dollar, to my knowledge, doesn't have a fixed supply. They're, they they kind of keep printing dollars as as needed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's part of monetary policy. the The other is that the U.S. dollar is controlled by the U.S. government and the and the folks that they delegate that power to. Bitcoin is controlled by no one, but and everyone at the same time. It's, it's controlled by consensus. There are a set of rules that were built into the code that you opt into. And if you don't want to follow them, then you go somewhere else. But if you want to be a part of the Bitcoin system and the Bitcoin network, you have to follow these rules. And everyone is following them and everyone is sort of keeping everyone else accountable. So it's a consensus-based system. It's quote unquote, decentralized. So there's not like one central authority that controls how much Bitcoin is created, the timing of when Bitcoin is created, who gets Bitcoin. It's There's no intermediary that's sitting in between all of these transactions. You and I can both get on the Bitcoin network and I can send money directly to you as long as we're all following the same rules.
2: Yeah, the the, the tricky part is with, with currency, everything is centralized with through the government, through the federal reserve and and ultimately when you look at the federal reserve it's just a conglomeration of private banks that are that are controlling everything in terms of how our currency works and as you alluded to they continue to print more which is called inflation inflating the currency supply which leads to a consistent rising of prices and kind of the instability of of the economy and and the the difficulty in in really being able to define value because it's, it's hard to, because it's constantly moving. The currencies are constantly battling against each other from around the world where this is, is a currency. And this is not unusual. If you go throughout, you know, uh, history, currencies have been decentralized before actually, um, in the sense that, it w- the people would actually stamp their own gold coins uh, or silver based on their their, uh, their business that they owned and certain businesses at times would gain a reputation about having you know a certain level of purity and, and a certain level of um, yeah, a purity and a value to that coin that, that, that people could, uh, could would depend on basically and could depend on based on that. And usually the best currency in that in that sense would win the day. And something similar is happening now with with Bitcoin. Is that it's more and more people are going to it, seeing that it it is a superior alternative to the the uh, currency we have now, which is uh, which is corrupted basically, and and used for nefarious actions, as you alluded to. Yeah, would that be a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I don't know as much about, as you maybe about the history of money, but you know, <clears throat> I do think that. It is the folks that are attracted to it because of its use case as money. That's exactly what they're running from is inflation. <laughs> they're running from the devaluing of, of U.S. dollars over time. The one other um, part of the, in terms of the difference, is that U.S. dollars are legal tender. So you you must accept them, um, whereas Bitcoin is op- you an know, opt-in <laughs> kind of system. Um, so that, that's the other thing is that the government, you know, requires us to accept US dollars. So I couldn't run this business and say, no, I only, I only take Bitcoin. <laughs> that would not work um, here. So you so it does. So it's the, the 10, the currency is, is propped up by that requirement. Like you said, like if we want, like if if it was just a pure competition between the US dollar and, you know, people didn't have to accept dollars, you know, maybe another currency would win, you know, if, if that, if that were the case, but it's artificially, you know, retains its sort of position as like the required current, like uh, as the currency that people use. Now I will say there, there are other values. (laughs) There are some values to it being a legal requirement because it does create like efficiency in the market. You know, if, if every, if you went to every town and you would need to use like a different currency, and this is why local currencies don't necessarily make all that much sense because then, anytime you want to travel to another part of the United States, now you got to exchange dollars. You know, you got to exchange your Virginia dollars to, you know, your Maryland dollars. Now it'd be a huge pain in the neck. So there is definitely value. I'm not saying there isn't value in having like a legal tender that we all must accept because it does, there is a massive economic benefit for it as well, but it just comes with, you know, strings attached. And that's where um, certain folks, uh, and really a large swath of the population over time can really kind of face an uphill battle in sort of getting to a place where they're financially secure because wages don't keep up with inflation and, and with the, the the price of... And, and that's part of the dynamic between like capitalism and mon- monetary policy. And it's, it's, a, it's a complicated problem. But what ends up happening is, is that, you know, $100,000 today means a lot less than a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in the nineties and, and that has implications. Um, and so we, we're, we're seeing the result of that, which is like this widening and widening, um, income inequality gap.
1: Yeah. And wealth gap. Here's, here's something I've just noticed. This is just an observation. Is that the folks that I know that are playing with Bitcoin are not educated in money, like mm. the history of money or, They just know that um, that it's new, that it's interesting. Um, I don't even I don't even know that they've looked at the the functionality of it, but it's an it's a it's an interesting way to maybe make some money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I don't know if the younger generation, well, I think the younger generation has a different risk profile than, you know, people in their 40s and 50s. I'm curious. Like you, in a previous conversation, you had said you had named three things, and I'm blanking on them right now. I wouldn't be able to rifle through my notes and find them. But
0: about what money is?
1: Yeah, reliable store of value,
0: means of exchange, and a unit of account. Those are sort of the three basic functions of money. And Bitcoin does all of those things. You know, maybe not all of them really as good as the dollar right now. So, for instance, a means of exchange, you know, there is a lot of volatility the dollar is a lot more stable. And so it is probably right now a superior means of exchange. Um, yeah. But as a store of value, the dollar doesn't do so well over time. Whereas Bitcoin yeah. has proven itself, at least in its short life, you know, we're only 11 years in. So, um, but over that, over those 11 years, it's been a superior store of value. If you look at the the value of the dollar versus the
1: value of Bitcoin. So yeah. let me ask you this, this, and again, this is just from my, my perspective. I, I, I never want to trade one corrupt system for another um, mm-hmm. without at least some education. Sure. I, I see, the, I see our current money system in the U S is very corrupt. It's not transparent, you know, starting at the federal reserve level. Um, there's way too, there's way too much opportunity for manipulation and it's advertised in the cryptocurrency world that you can't manipulate this, you know, like it's, It's like you said, it's immutable. It's um, transparent. Are there, are there some things that people are missing? Like, you know, in my mind, when I, when I buy silver, I'm paying, it's, I'm not paying market. I'm there's a spot price. Like there's somebody selling it to me. There's an intermediary that at times on in places like eBay are, they're making like a 40% margin does that exist in in crypto world? Or are there people that are gonna that are trying to sell you cryptocurrencies at at stupid markups?
0: Yes. Um, so first of all, I would I would not advise anyone to buy anything that they don't understand. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm very, I mean, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger absolutely hate Bitcoin, but that's their advice in in terms of like how they invest is like, I don't buy anything I don't understand. And I think that's probably a a very good axiom. So yes, if you you don't understand what you're doing, you can very much buy something that has been marked up. Um, You can buy something that has no value. There are thousands of cryptocurrencies out there and crypto assets out there, most of which don't have any value, really. They're just pure pure speculation. I mean, there is certainly a major element of like speculation within Bitcoin as well, but it is also backed by millions of people. And, you know, it it is a much more sophisticated system that is vying to be something um, that it has the potential to be. Um, and it has the best story really and, and you know there's there's literally nothing different in the code uh, between Bitcoin and say Litecoin There's only one line of code that's different and that's the supply Bitcoin has got 21 million Litecoin has got I think 71 million that's literally the only difference between the two of them and they have a different name but it's the story of, of Bitcoin it's the it's the story of how it came to be that, has caused people to basically say, this is the one that I want to, I want to invest my time, my energy, my, my brain power, my money. Um, Because the Bitcoin network is, is, it's a very sophisticated group of developers, of like financial institutions, of technologists, of miners. And, and there are people that are, you know, are trying to like, just get rich off of like this new technology because anyone can create their own coin. Literally Um, that it's, it's open source software. So you could just take the Bitcoin core code, change a couple lines and release it into the world and call it, you know, PW coin, if you want. But, um, and that's
1: at that point, that's the frustrating part is like, you know, if I put perfume on a pig, I can sell it. You know, if like, like Elon, is it Elon Musk that, that, that tweeted Doge the other day?
0: Yeah. Like- yeah. The Doge, Doge. coin.
1: which I, again, I don't know much, but I I know that that is like, that's like the, the, the meme, the joke of digital currency. It is. And he, he bumped it up and a friend of mine just made 20 grand off of it. Yeah. Because he owned 0.0000, whatever, you know, cents worth of it. If this is the type of thing where, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm having an agenda here. I don't think, does crypto have the potential to create value? Like where is the value in this besides, besides the immutability and the transparency, like where can it be used?
0: So, yeah, I mean, I I think there's, again, we're still in the early days of this and we are more and more moving towards the internet being the place where commerce, I mean, it, it already, it already lives there, you know, and the internet has sort of like changed the way that like we do things. And, um, and I love this description of Bitcoin, but as the internet of money. Um, and that was by a guy named Andreas Antonopoulos. And he wrote a book called The Internet of Money, which is a great resource for people to check out. But we don't know exactly all of the different use cases, but but I'll give you a, a window into like where what you can do with quote unquote programmable money. So first of all, there's what people are using it for now. And in the United States where we have like a real, we have a stable currency, we have a government that's you know democratic. There are, there are parts of the world that don't enjoy that same freedom that, that they aren't, they don't have the freedom um, to hold any other currency, to hold us dollars, like places like Venezuela, where there's hyperinflation, where their, where their money is actually less stable than Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, the volatility of Bitcoin is like a a nice change of pace from the volatility of like their their money. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one is in, in places where the government has truly gotten completely out of control. And and there are folks who hold their money in Bitcoin. And when they need to in Venezuela, when they go to the grocery store, they go to a Bitcoin ATM, they exchange it for the local currency, they buy what they need and then they put it back in Bitcoin. Um, because the price, literally the price of groceries changes from day to day. The second place is international remittances. Um, getting money across borders sometimes goes through multiple financial institutions. You're paying fees. It takes time. You know, ACH, you know, that's two days. Bitcoin, you can move five, ten million dollars with a fee of, you know, $5 in 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like it, it's very fast. Yeah. Um so it's very good at, at at remittances. And so those are those are some of the places but what I'm much more excited about is what what are called layer second layer technologies. So Bitcoin if you think about it as like the being the base layer for like a, a like a fin- of settlements you can actually build other types of technologies on top of it. So one of them is called the Lightning Network, which is a, a network that sits on top of Bitcoin that allows instant transactions for like fractional, fraction, fractions, fractions of a cent fees. And what has been worked on so far is like this concept of streaming money where instead of you buying a download or you paying, you know, 99 cents for a download, you just pay for what you actually listen to. And so as you're listening, you're streaming fractions of a cent. And then you, you know, when you stop listening, you stop paying. And you literally take the digital world and you allow people to have streaming on things like blogs. And you know, you can have streaming all, all different types of like streaming content. Um, and you can fundamentally change the way that people pay for content and also the way the creators receive content, because, because again, it's programmable. What you can do is you can instantly pay everyone who's involved in that project. And this is a huge problem, particularly like in the music world. Um, you know, if you're familiar with sound exchange, you know, there's millions of dollars in royalties that producers and engineers, studio musicians never see because they're, they they do not think to register or they, you know, they, they haven't, they haven't done something right. Whereas, with content, you can have a file that is encoded with all of the different people that need to get paid, and they can be paid instantly um, because, again, you're programming it out. So we're we're just in the really early stages of figuring out all of the various use cases. But when you leverage of this like base layer of of settlements that is not controlled by any one government or institution, so you don't need an institution. You can just use code all of a sudden you can build all different types of, of things on top of it. So I think over the next 20 years, what we're going to see is these layer two and layer three technologies that are built um, on top of Bitcoin. And that's really where you're, you'll see that value of Bitcoin being that reserve currency. Um, and maybe some other currency will will serve as that. I don't know. I, I, I'd be really surprised because Bitcoin is just such a dominant position in the world. Um, but, Things change, so I, I don't know.
1: If this is done by consensus and it's global, like the the U.S. government can't own it, but they can they can tax it. What what does that look like?
0: So the U.S. government does regulate the world of crypto in several ways, um, through securities law, through anti money laundering law, and through the IRS. So the IRS back in 2014, basically said, Bitcoin, we're treating it as property for tax purposes. And so you have a cost basis when you acquire it. When you sell it, you have either a long-term or short-term capital gain, depending on how long you've held it for. And by sell, that means selling it for US dollars, using it to buy a cup of coffee, using it to pay for services, as far as I know, using it to buy other cryptocurrencies. So they effectively, you know, really jammed up the, the that means of exchange use case, because essentially, if I want to, you know, buy a cup of coffee with crypto, that's a taxable event. Um, and and so far, there hasn't been a de minimis, you know, value exception, which I'm hoping will one day come where we say, okay, you know, if it's under $200 or $300, like you don't, You don't have to report it. Um, but for now you have to report everything, you know, $5, a cup of coffee, that's a taxable event.
1: And it's, and it's at a short-term capital gains.
0: Depending on how long you've held it. Yeah. Uh, potentially, um, you know, so, you know, I think the, the, the threshold is a year. I mean, you might know more than more than me about this, but you know, I think if you've held something for longer than a year, I think you can, you can get into the long, long long-term capital gains. Yeah. So it, it is it is really hard, you know, to to conceive of Bitcoin in the short term being this thing that you know you and I are using for 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 cash. But there are ways there are ways to do it, and there are companies that are trying to do that. And they're essentially um, there's one company called Strike that is trying to do this. They're they are working on basically making Bitcoin the sort of the underlying technology, but Allowing people just to use their their dollars and they're like a debit card, and so you as the consumer, you never feel yourself using Bitcoin, but really it's the technology that's sort of powering the the transaction itself. Um, and they're they're you know they're involved with helping football football players right now. Who there's a sort of growing movement within the NFL of getting paid in Bitcoin, um, and so basically they allow an employer to issue US dollars and the uh, the person on the other side to receive bitcoin. Um so over the last 4 years bitcoin sort of has these like like huge cycles where where like where the price runs up it kind of c- crashes down to some level everyone in the world declares bitcoin dead um and the mainstream media kind of moves on from it and then the re- and the build and the bitcoin world just keeps building <laughs> you know quietly building. Um and those are kind of like the best time those are sort of like the quiet seasons when the most of the innovation happens. And so over the last four years, after the 2017 run up, when everybody thought Bitcoin went away, no, you know, development continued, you know, there, there's right now, they sent a satellite into space that broadcasts Bitcoin blockchain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, you know, it's, it's there, there's so much stuff. There's so much happening um, sort of below the surface of like what everyone can see that I think it's going to be one of those things where it's like gradually then suddenly, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as the Bitcoin ecosystem continues to mature, you know, an app is going to come out, you know, that's built on built, you know, you know, one day we'll see an app appear and it's built on Bitcoin and it'll take off. And all of a sudden we're in a completely different place Mm -hmm. than we were the day before. Um, I, I think that that something like that is more, much more likely to happen than could you explain
2: real quick, because you mentioned how Bitcoin can take off in different, and, and I know part of it has to do with the having, yeah, the quote unquote having that happens every so often, which has to do with how much Bitcoin are released at a time, I know. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was talking to, in one of our episodes, I talked about the fact that I saw a video of a guy online when Bitcoin was like 13,000, I think. And he said, okay, I think that's about, but he said, we're about to hit another halving and Bitcoin's going to go to 35,000. So now's a time to jump in if you want to. I couldn't justify it myself. I just, I I was telling PW, my motives were greed and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I had to step back. Um, It didn't go to 35. It went way past it. And now we're at 50, yeah, 64. (laughs) Now holy crap. So can you just explain the significance of having and, and how that plays into the whole you know the whole scheme of things and and why that lends itself to the increase in value of Bitcoin?
0: Sure. so when the when the Bitcoin um, software was released, um, it had this fixed supply. It needed a way of like figuring out like okay, how do we do this? So basically it said, okay, at first, with every new block that's mined, a hundred Bitcoin will be released into the world. But then after we get to you know two thousand blocks later or two hundred thousand blocks later, we'll we'll cut that in half to fifty thousand. So basically every about every four years, the number of new Bitcoin that are produced by each each block cuts in half until in the year twenty one forty two, um, that'll essentially go to zero. Um, so it's basically just an issuance schedule is probably the best way to do it. Is, is to think about it in and essentially what that means is like at the very beginning the majority of the bitcoin that could ever be produced was produced and 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 so we're, i think we're somewhere around 18 million of the total bitcoins that could ever be minted have already been you know minted out mm-hmm. uh, around the world so essentially it's an issuance schedule but it functions as you know this sort of this drastically decreasing supply of bitcoin um, in the marketplace and so assuming that demand remains relatively constant or increasing over time, th- these sort of havings of like literally cutting in half then the number of that are coming in will cause the price to go up. Now I will say this like that's a very very simplistic like there's a lot of argument and debate about whether or not there is true coral they, like we've we've gone through four cycles, okay? So all we have are are 10 years, (laughs) you know, we're in the, we're in the midst of the fourth cycle. And so there are people, you know, that have said, no, it's, it's not really correlated. There are other, there are other market factors that are doing this. Um, Maybe there's like a little bit of correlation Um, and there are people, much, much smarter than me that have talked about um, who have kind of modeled out how this works, but there's a sort of a leading, a guy who's out there who's anonymous who sort of created this like model that was connected basically, who basically said, you know, it just follows a very simple supply demand curve. Um, if you look at it, it uh, basically 10x's every four years because of this like supply dynamic, and it's been you know widely debated. I'm not going to really mention it because I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm, I don't want to give any put any numbers in people's minds, but there's a lot of debate about that. I'm, I'm not an economist, but there, but there is a, generally speaking, a falling supply and generally speaking, an increase in demand over time. I think these like cycles represent sort of these like cliffs. And if you, and if you watch the, the, if you look at it on a, on a chart, you can, you can extrapolate certain things, but there, but it's all we're, even the folks who feel like confident about these models are like, this is a model. This is like, we don't, we don't know, but like, if you look back on what it's done, here's what it may do. Um, And so I think there are lots of people that are just, you know, like you said, like just interested in money and, you know, and they look at certain charts and they get very excited and And they say like, oh my gosh, I got to get in now. That's not how I would ever recommend. I'm not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice, but like understand what it is, you know, understand its use case, which I think right now is a store of value. And if you think about it, it's almost like a savings account. So like, I really think of it more as like, if you're going to like buy Bitcoin, my personal way of doing it is just sort of dollar cost averaging, where you just say like, I'm just going to put a little bit in I'm not going to put any more than like I can stand to lose. It's it's a savings account in this different type of money. It's a way of sort of diversifying your portfolio, whatever you want to call it, but like mm-hmm. something that's like disconnected from like the, the sort of the emotion <laughs> of like ups mm-hmm. and downs and just sort of saying like, you know what, I'm kind of taking a long-term approach to this as like a sound form of money. That That's my approach to it. Although I will say like, I also sort of made a decision because I was so terrible at trading it, not to trade it and to be more involved in like the industry itself, like than like speculating on like the price. So I don't own, I don't really own all that much Bitcoin. So myself, but that's more for, you know, intentional reasons. And just again,
2: for educational purposes too, I want to point this out just so people understand this. There's actually more than just Bitcoin. There is something called Satoshis, right? Um, which are smaller increments of of the currency, kind of like quarters or dimes are to a dollar,
0: right? Yep. I mean, not, yes, yes. I think a Satoshi is like a 10,000th of a Bitcoin, maybe. Either 10,000th yeah. or 100,000th. Bitcoin is divisible to eight eight digits.
1: Okay. So What's Satoshi,
0: I think, is like right in the middle of that, I think. and then the, And then I think the next one up is like, Bits, which I think is a thousandth of a bitcoin.
1: What, well, like, what's the advantage of even messing with those things? Like, because I thought you could buy just a fraction of a bitcoin.
0: You can. That that's that's. It's just a name for a fraction of a bitcoin. Is a satoshi. Okay. Yeah, got it.
1: Right.
0: It's literally like, like. I think it's probably best. Like, like Mike said, it's a like a penny to a dollar. Like, is yeah. a good way of thinking about a satoshi.
1: Okay. Friends, thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Blue Collar Money with PW Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to PW directly, you can reach him through his website at pwgopal.com or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to connecting with you soon.